Welcome back to According To. I'm Megan. And I'm Sierra. For this week's episode, we are going to be kind of taking a step back and using this platform to hopefully help amplify Black people's voices. Um, As you guys know, all the events that have been happening recently, um, there's some tragic things that we need to talk about. Obviously, the murder of George Floyd is unacceptable and murders like his need to be talked about. So that's what we're hoping to do this week. And especially with all of the unrest and protesting that's been going on throughout, not just the United States at this point, it's happening all over the world. So I think that acting like this isn't going on is honestly foolish and tone deaf. I was thinking at this point that this has happened a lot. Like, black people have been murdered a lot, and this is the first time I've ever said anything about it. Mm-hmm, I agree. I think this is the first time a lot of people have spoken about it, and I think we'll get into kind of the idea of, like, why is it happening now as opposed to every other time? Some people are claiming it's because there's a pandemic going on and, like, nothing else to talk about. Um, so we'll kind of see what the people we have coming on will say about that. Um, I guess we can also talk about, instead of doing a weekly spotlight this week because it feels very insensitive, insensitive to, do to do, like, a highlight of our lives, uh, Megan and I each picked out a quote that we thought was helpful for this time. So, Megan, if you want to read yours first. All right, my quote is from Martin Luther King Jr., and it says, Freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. And I think that, I don't know, I just kind of picked my quote because I felt like it, there's like a lot of people that are are throwing around different Martin Luther King Jr. quotes that are kind of like turning it against the black community, in my opinion, saying, Mm -hmm. you know, Martin Luther, he wouldn't want this. He wouldn't want this. He was all about peaceful protesting. And I think it's fine to promote peaceful protesting, but I don't think that should be the focus instead of just showing your support for black communities in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I chose that quote. I like it. Okay, mine, I don't know who the author is. I tried to Google the quote and I couldn't find anything, but it is, becoming aware of privilege should not be viewed as a burden or a source of guilt, but rather an opportunity to learn and be responsible so that we may work toward a more just and inclusive world. I think that we kind of chose like different quotes. Mine is kind of more reflected on like white people and privileged people because a lot of people, when they hear, like, white privilege or, you know, are accused of being racist, like, they instantly back away and say, like, oh, I would never. And so I think that the first step is recognizing what you have. And also not demonizing these words that we keep hearing all the time, like, racism, everyone demonizes it, which means that we can't even talk about it. Privilege, people demonize that word and think it's, like, ungod. Like, if they have privilege, like, then they're you a bad person, that, you, know? you know? And that's, that's, not, that's not helping anyone converse and actually talk about anything right now. So I think just be aware of the vocab that's being used and don't also try and stay away from unproductive cliches um like when people say black lives matter and your automatic response is all lives matter it just screams ignorance and as i totally like no one is saying ever that all lives don't matter that is never what the point of argument is Mm -hmm. i think it's just people trying to like completely disagree and not even listen avoid those just like blanket statements and like please just open your ears um i have a I guess we'll give you a quick breakdown on what this podcast is going to entail. So obviously we're doing this intro right now, then we're going to go into we have four guests that were so gracious to want to come on the podcast and share their viewpoints, share their opinions. We had some conversations. We have four different guests, so two of them we had Zoom calls with, and then one person felt comfortable staying anonymous, so we sent her some questions, and we will be reading her answers. And then the last person, we also had her send in video responses so you'll also be able to hear those. And then, since honestly our voice is the least important in this podcast, we're just going to go ahead and finish up our conversation. Mostly I think that we structured our part of this podcast as 
asking ourselves questions and then looking up resources to answer them. Mm -hmm. I also think, like, one of the biggest things that we can do as white people is try and, like, inform fellow white people because as bad as it sounds, white people love listening to white people. So we'll get into the resources that we've used, things that we found helpful, and things that we've thought, like, have been really eye-opening. Again, if you made the choice to come listen to this podcast, I want to thank you because that is a step in the right direction. Um, Not everyone has to agree with everything we're saying here. I think that people forget that you don't have to be on one side and you don't have to be all on the opposite side. There is a spectrum of beliefs that you can have in this. If you are, you know, pro-Black Lives Matter, that doesn't mean you're anti-cop. And we need to get away from that mindset because this is more complex than that. So, Just if we say one thing, you can't turn around and say that means you support the opposite or you're against the opposite, I guess makes more sense. Um, I also want to say that like normal, we are going to have an Instagram post saying that our episode is live and that is a place where we want people to discuss stuff. But while it's okay to have respectful disagreements and have your own opinions, we are not going to tolerate any hateful comments or ignorant comments, which means that if you're again throwing out those blanket statements with no facts to back anything up, it's probably going to get deleted. Or you might get blocked. So, just pointing that out there. You can hit us if you want. That's fine. We probably don't need you around anyways. <laughs> All right. I think that unless you have anything else to say, we will go ahead and go to our guests. Let's do it. So, this guest originally decided to remain anonymous, but she has since told us that she is fine with us saying her name and, like, she's proud of her answers. So, we're going to be interviewing Jada, and she's a social work student, which I thought was just an interesting layer and give some added perspective. So again, because she originally wanted to remain anonymous, we sent her questions and then she typed her answers and then sent them back to us, but we're still going to keep doing that format and our goal is just to like read what our questions were and then also read her responses verbatim just because we don't want to like say, oh, this is what she meant or add any extra interpretation. So it's going to be pretty much like question answer format. Many media sources have chosen to focus on riots and looting rather than the many peaceful protests that have taken place. If you have joined any of these protests, what has been your experience and what are the best ways to get others involved? So Jada's response was, I haven't joined any of the protests here, and in a lot of ways, I feel guilty because of it. When I think about my ancestors and all the African Americans who made it possible for me to be where I am today, I can't help but think I'm not doing enough. There have been a few protests in my city, and I have strongly considered attending them. However, my local government has has in place strict curfew laws that directly impact the protest, and failing to adhere has resulted in protesters' arrest. I haven't been to any protests, so I've tried to focus on spreading our message in other ways, Like this interview, for example, I was hesitant to reach out to Megan and Sierra, but I knew this was the only way I could use my voice to help make changes in our broken system. What do you have to say to people who respond to Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter? I would say that I agree with them. I also believe that All Lives Matter. However, the purpose of the Black Lives Matter movement is not and has never been to an attempt to diminish the value placed on the lives of people from other races. The movement seeks to bring attention to the injustice, oppression, and systemic racism that African Americans have experienced since we arrived in this country. When we were slaves, our lives did not matter. During the Reconstruction and Jim Crow eras, our lives did not matter. When African Americans were banned from serving in the military alongside whites, our lives did not matter. During the Civil Rights era, we saw time and time again just how little our country cared for people like us. Today, we see how little our lives matter in the hands of the law and criminal justice system due to practices like mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex. So yes, all lives matter, but all lives include black lives and generations of intolerance towards people of color have proven that this country has never valued the lives of black citizens the way it has valued those of others. Wow, that was the end of the answer, but I have response. to say, I was just going to say that. So quick break to be like, that was an incredible response and you worded that perfectly. What results are you hoping will come from protesting? 
I'd like to believe that all of the rallies and protests across the country will help bring an end to all injustice and race-based discrimination going on here in the United States. I truly believe that love is a force stronger than hate, and my biggest hope is that the protests will help others believe it as well. I hope that the protesting will help naysayers begin to understand that their life is no more important than the life of another person. Regardless of origin or ethnicity, as humans, we are all the same race after all, and I think things like protesting help to remind us of that by bringing us together. What can white people do or not do to help the cause? White people can help the cause by remaining open and accepting of all people, not only those whose race differs from these. They can help by using their privilege to assist those who do not have it. They can help by ensuring we do not see another generation as racist and intolerant in the future as those we have seen in the past. They can help by educating themselves and others about issues like generational trauma and the adverse effect it has made on African Americans in our society. Honestly, I think the biggest way that white people can help the cause is simply by speaking up when they see injustice and ensuring that racism does not go unnoticed. What obligation do you think white social media influencers have or don't have to speak out? What do you consider to be enough or not enough? I don't think there's any set limit of what is enough versus what isn't when it comes to influencers sharing about Black Lives Matter. I have seen a lot of social media influencers, YouTubers, and even celebrities posting quotes and pictures about Black Lives Matter on social media. I think this is a great start because it shows us who our allies are, but I also think it can look and feel a bit disingenuous at times. I sincerely hope that the influencers who are sharing Black Lives Matter to the public on social media are adhering to the movement's practices in their private life as well. Do you think that being a part of Black Lives Matter also means you should support ACAB, why or why not? And for those of you who don't know, ACAB stands for All Cops Are Bad. Which is not something that all Black Lives Matter are supporting. I think most people aren't, but it's definitely, like, going around. I do not support or think that all cops are bad. They're going to be bad people apart from every organization, regardless of its intent. I think it's less important to focus on whether or not a cop is bad and more important to examine the reasons in which they believe or became the way that they are. What I am meaning is that I don't believe any person would become a police officer or any other profession with the intent of being bad at their job. I'm studying to become a social worker and we talk a lot about a concept called burnout. Burnout is a psychological syndrome commonly caused by prolonged or chronic interpersonal stress or anxiety experienced in a person's everyday work environment. Burnout is typically associated with social workers, although I think a lot of cops struggle with it as well. When someone is experiencing on-the-job burnout, it can impact their impulses, decision-making, and rationality. So no, I don't think all cops are bad, but I do think we need to start paying more attention to the mental health and well-being of police officers. I strongly believe that regular screenings with mental health professionals, as well as a more open conversation about mental health issues within the police field, would help reduce the number of officers battling burnout and thus reduce the number of quote-unquote bad cops. That is a really great answer that I don't mm-hmm. think... I really heard anyone talk about in this situation I agree. and I think that is something that both sides would easily support so I think that's definitely something that should be talked more about. How has your education and social work informed your opinions on racism and discrimination in addition to your anecdotal experiences? As a person of color I know that racism and discrimination are two very real problems that we face every day. My education as a social worker has taught me how to look beyond factors like race and to view a person's worth. If society was able to function in this way without letting personal bias and other unimportant factors cloud our judgment, there would be no issues in regards to race today. The way that I view discrimination now had definitely changed since beginning my education. More than anything, it has helped me learn the importance of separating the person from the problem. All right, those were all the questions and answers that we had with Jada. Those were really, really great mm-hmm. I answers. I think very insightful, especially coming from like a social work perspective. You brought things up that I hadn't even thought about, yeah. so it was re- really great to learn about that. All right, so we are here with our next guest. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Paloma. Um, I'm going to be 19 in a couple months, and I'm going to be a sophomore in college. All right, so thank you so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to hearing what you have to say and just, like, getting to inform us and our viewers everything that we can do to help everything that's going on right now. Um, before we get started with questions, mostly we just wanted to see what has your reaction been this past week with seeing protests, and as well as just how have you felt more so um, regarding George Floyd's death and 
the other people that have been, that we've been talking about, like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor? So with George Floyd, um, I was disgusted. I was not surprised, but I was feeling all these emotions. At first, I didn't really know how to feel. I was like almost numb. Um, with the protests, that's probably one of the most amazing things I've seen. And especially um, white people coming to the protests to um, like step in front of the black people, which is really cool. Um, so yeah. So one of my first questions that I had was, we just had Blackout Tuesday yesterday when we are recording this part of the podcast. Um, and I had really good intentions going into it, but then I started seeing backlash. Mostly it seemed it started out, people were using the Black Lives Matter hashtag on their posts. So people were saying to not use a hashtag and to just use Blackout Tuesday. And then it began becoming a thing where people were saying that the whole thing really just promoted silence rather than education. So I wanted to get your take on that. Do you think it was effective overall from my from where I was like looking at Blackout Tuesday, I still saw a lot of education and resources posted in stories. So I don't know if that's what you saw, but yeah, I just wanted to get your take on it. Do you think it was effective? Um, I would say in some senses, yeah, using the hashtag was just like defeating the purpose. But I did see like a lot of people post like, um, even if it's posting like an article or like ways to donate or signing petitions, which was wonderful. But I don't know if, like, it could have been better is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, because Megan and I did partake, and I'm like, I think everyone that participated, like, their intentions were good, but I don't know if everyone really executed the full purpose of the Blackout Tuesday. I know some yeah. people just posted squares and didn't post any resources, so mm-hmm. in that sense, exactly. it's like, why was your post necessary? Yeah. So I totally see where you're coming from. All right, next question I have, I think there's, like, quite a few layers to it, so if you need me to repeat anything, let me know. Today seems like everyone is saying that white people need to listen and receive feedback on their overt or unintentional racism for there to be change. So I'm curious if you have ever called out someone's racism. If you have, how did they react? And if you haven't, what has stopped you? I don't think myself, like I have like seen racism, which is like really weird coming from me. But um, if I have seen it, I'm sure that I have. Actually, like there was this girl from my high school who um, someone posted a video of her like screaming the N-word in a song and I commented like because it was like on Twitter and I commented saying this is not okay and I don't think she went to school the next day good choice but (laughs) I don't I don't really think that I've like seen or um witnessed racism except for like I I've had like some comments thrown at me such as like um do you curl your hair every day um how do you pronounce Mm -hmm. your name that's like a common thing that people of color get like how do you pronounce your name um but yeah I I guess that's all (laughs) yeah okay well actually I feel like what you just mentioned those are still like microaggressions which I feel like in some ways instead of responding it's easier just to say like whatever like throw it behind you so I understand why you like are saying you don't necessarily feel like you speak up because it's hard to feel like it's really necessary to do so when it's stuff like that and or it's easy for people to come back and say, well, that wasn't racist. Like, I was just asking a simple question. Yeah. yeah. So definitely something that I think people are starting to realize and hopefully realize that those small things count too. And that's like part of the movement. That's part of making a difference and making sure that everyone becomes more aware of what they're saying and not just throwing it like, oh, it didn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, so in the book that I've been reading, White Fragility, I feel like I reference it probably a million <laughs> times during this podcast, but it talks a lot about intention versus impact and how a lot of people will say, when someone calls them racist, they're like, well, that was not my intention. Like, I did not, like, my intentions are good. And your impact is way more important than what your intentions were. So, 
Yeah, in my opinion, I feel like that's one of the most racist things you can say if you say, oh, well, what I said wasn't racist. That's just not, mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah, I agree. So a lot of people have been placing emphasis on educating ourselves and making sure that we're doing our best to stay informed. Um, can we hear some of your thoughts on why it's so important that people are being educated before they speak out? And also, in your opinion, what does educating ourselves mean and include? So I think what a lot of white allies are focusing on is asking black people what they should do to educate themselves. And for me, I don't think that's our job um, because I think that you've like learned like throughout class, like 400 years of slavery. And I think you should know by now, like what you should be doing. I think we should focus on what they shouldn't be doing so for instance just posting the black square okay like what's after that and posting on your story is good but like are you like signing the petitions are you donating like we want to see like what you're doing um educating yourself i feel like it's just reading books like sierra mentioned and um listening to podcasts like this one which is amazing yeah totally agree with that also google is a wonderful thing so if you have any questions and you're listening Google what your question is to find your own answers. It's not the jobs of Black people to point you in the exact direction yeah, you need to Which go. is why yeah. I'm so grateful that you did volunteer to be on our podcast because, you know, I don't want to promote, like, make sure you go ask Black people and your Black friends what you should be doing. That's why I'm so grateful that you chose to come on the podcast and just share your perspective anyways because I know that people are going to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. The Black Lives Matter movement has been around now for a few years, and despite the fact that we hear about many unjustified Black deaths over the years, I've seen people state that this time it feels different. Do you agree with that sentiment? Why or why not? Yeah, I think I do agree. It's hard because I think it's only because of how many people are protesting. Usually, like, when we see a death online, we're like, wow, like, that's terrible. And then we kind of just move on. But for this, it was, like, so many, like, continuous deaths that were like, okay, we have to do something. And Mm -hmm. seeing all the protests, like, and being involved in them, if you are, is just, I don't know, I think it is different this time but like more positive yeah that's good and speaking to that sorry to interrupt you um what do you think then since you do feel like it is different it's more positive this time what is the importance of keeping this momentum going to advocate for change I think that the more we do this that people will understand like the message and why we keep doing it it's not just like a one-time thing and like for this specifically like um these particular deaths it's great that like we're doing it after um, like straight after they have passed away but like I just I just feel like we owe something more to them and they mm-hmm. deserve justice. I was just going to add that like the fact that we're seeing protests taking place in all 50 states now and beyond like different countries are involved in this now too I think it just really that's why it feels so different to me too and I think that it's like this is bigger this time it's going to lead to change that's what I'm hoping especially with elections going on like in states right now for primaries and then eventually again in November I hope that we do see the change that everyone's advocating for and again like local elections too I have to admit before like I've really started like looking into like what can I do to make a difference and I didn't ever care about local elections two years ago when I voted for the first time like for the state of Iowa stuff I voted for a governor and like nothing else and so now I'm like this matters like this is what I need to be doing I need to be looking into the sheriffs that were voting for, the district district attorneys that were voting for, because I never was like, oh, it doesn't matter to me. Like, whoever wants to be district attorney, they can be district attorney. And so I think it's just, it's not just like, oh, the presidential election. It's like, it starts here in our communities. And that's where I'm like, wow, that's the big change. That's I'm great to hear that. Yeah. 
This is clearly a human rights issue and not a political issue, but that doesn't mean that politics aren't involved or that people aren't bringing politics into it. How can we make sure that this movement progresses and does not get or does not become stagnant just because political parties can't compromise? One thing that's really important is that, especially white allies, I think like they should not be afraid to like post Black Lives Matter or like stand by them in fear of losing their friends. I don't, it's mm -hmm. a lot more than that. And I think this needs to be said, cause like, I know a lot of people who aren't posting because they're like, oh, like, what will my friends say? It's not about that. Like, it's about human mm -hmm. lives. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's also a strange time to live in where posting, like, Black Lives Matter is controversial. Yeah, like, a world we live in where it's, like, posting that is controversial is just upsetting. Very strange. Uh, which I think just shows, like, how people are not just focusing on the message and saying, like, well, if I post this, then other people are going to think that I also mean this, and I don't want people to think that. And it's mm -hmm, yeah. almost becoming just too intertwined with politics and it's probably harming the movement, but I think that that's why we need to keep pushing it still and like having more people join and not be afraid. And also if people are joining late, still trying to open them into the, or like welcome them with open arms into the movement, even though they were silent in the beginning. I think that mm -hmm. there's an issue, of, an issue now of people vilifying, oh, well, you're just doing this or you're like not you saying anything now. And it's like, you can be upset about that. And, you know, I'm not saying you can't be upset about that, but I also think like the point is, they're joining now and they also are wanting to make a difference now and just continue to educate them, encourage them to share what they've learned and post the resources they've been looking at, I think is a good step. Yeah, and I really think that growth is like a huge thing mm -hmm. right now. Like, mm -hmm. I think people should really honor those who are stepping up now, like you said. What are your thoughts regarding colorblind racism, i.e. when someone says they don't see color, they just treat people everyone the same? How do you respond to that? Um, I don't like it. I think they should see, I see your color. I accept it. I stand with you. I hear you. I, mm -hmm. I feel like it's just that simple. <laughs> yeah. And then going along with that, I also just kind of wanted to group this together because I think that a lot of people say like, oh, I don't see color. Also say like all lives matter. And I know that like every person I've talked to kind of like rolls their eyes when they hear all lives matter. So what's your opinion on that? All lives matter can't matter until black lives do. Yeah, exactly. I hear that response every time someone says all lives yeah, matter because just... I think people have like this idea that if we're having like everything leveled out, black lives are like above everything and really it's like everything's leveled out and then black lives matter is like below everything yes. else. So we just are trying to get it to yeah. be the same. And then I know you said you had a question for us, so do you still want to ask that? Yeah, of course. Completely coming from your heart, what is one thing that you would like to say to the black community during this time? That's a great question. I just want everyone who's listening to know that I hear you, I see you guys, I'm standing with you, and I'm trying my best to not only educate myself, but to also use my platform and my privilege to help the movement. Yeah, kind of as cliche as it sounds, I was going to say the same thing of, I hear you, I see you, I stand with you, and even talking to the person we interviewed yesterday, I was like, it made it more real for me. Like, we lived in an area where we're surrounded by white people, and I don't get to interact with black people are different minorities that often. And so it was like, this is real. These are real people. And it made it more real for me. And so I just want to say that I'm doing my best to educate myself. I'm looking at the documentaries. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm trying to read books. Looking and at studies. Yeah. I'm the first one, like, I like to look up studies. So I do that too, which is People not is your everyone. best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, I guess when Sierra was saying she's like almost done with reading white, white fragility and I'm kind of like going to further read that because I've only started reading the beginning as of now, but it's like, honestly, people should think of those as like self-help books. And we like, people talk about self-help books 
all the time is like trying to better themselves and I think that that's the same thing it's like Mm -hmm. it forces you to be introspective and be honest with yourself and so that's what I think that people should start thinking of them as because I think it's more important to learn how systemic racism is involved in the United States and elsewhere rather than just like how to be a girl boss type of book so I'm just saying that I'm doing my best and if you have any resources that you want me to promote or any places that I can be donating or sharing, then please reach out to me and I will try to promote those as well. Those were great responses and I really appreciate appreciate you guys um, coming forward to talk about this and not only talking about it, but bringing people of color and black people um, to use your platform for the best, I guess. Um, But yeah, I just really thank you guys for this. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on this podcast episode. I think it was really insightful what you had to say. I'm glad we got to ask you slightly different questions than what we asked um, a lot of our other guests. I think we're going to have a wide array of responses, but all kind of centralizing back to that core, like Black Lives Do Matter. So our next guest is Narya, and the easiest way for Narya to get in contact with us was just for us to send the questions to her, and then she responded with a video. So we're going to be reading questions that we sent her and then playing her audio of the video that she sent to us. Hi, my name's Naraya. I'm 16, and I live in Northeast Arkansas. So the very first question that we had was, what is the best way for people to be allies? The best way to be an ally is to be a listener. You don't necessarily have to be a part of the protests or riots. If your friend is venting, like, about the Black Lives Matter movement, always sometimes need someone to listen to us. A lot of people have been encouraging people to educate themselves. What topics specifically would you encourage others to learn more about? That would be the N-word. It might it might be just a word to non-POC, but it's not just a word to POC. Us people of color might use it as a friend, as a term for friend for each other, but someone that's not POC calling us that, we will take it to offense because that word was used to bring down people of color and discredit them. Um, another thing people are saying, black lives only matter when a white person kills them. When black kills a black, it isn't because they are black. I'm not saying it's rather wrong, wrong, because I don't encourage violence, but, you know, it's wrong. The Black Lives Matter movement was a response to police brutality and oppression of the people of color. What role do you think social media has in activism? I feel like social media is showing the more negative side of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, Um, only because, like, I'm going to use where I live, for example. Like, we were protesting on Sunday, and someone had a video posted all over our social media platform, like, to where everyone in my town could see it. And it was of a man at the protest getting out of his car with an AR, like, pointing at people, mainly blacks, and planning to shoot them, or, you know, threatening to shoot them. And their comments, or their caption on it was, um, that their PD didn't do anything about it. While I had personal encounters that were there, including my dad, and he said that the PD, in fact, did chase them down. They're now going to jail, and or they're now in jail going to prison. There's love being shown. It's not just... I was... Um, <laughs> I mean, there's love being shown, but it's not being shown as much as the negative side of things. Do you have any personal experience with discrimination and racism that you would like to share? Yes. Um, so I work at Sonic in my town. I was taking this guy's order. It was an older white man and he kept saying that he wanted the number one combo and you know the combo 
Combo's come with a side and something to drink. So I kept asking him for other tots and what to drink. And he was like, I don't want the tots or the drink. He was like, he was like I don't want a side or a drink. Just want the sandwich, but I want the combo price for it. And I was like, you can't do that, sir. So I even went out to his car to, like, talk to him about it and stuff. And he was being nice to me over the speaker. But once I got, like, face to face with him, he got, he instantly started getting rude. And... I was trying to explain to him, and he was like, didn't you just give me the sandwich for the price? I was like, okay. So I walked around, or I walked back to the door, and as I'm, like, two stalls down from his stall, I heard him say, what the F is your problem? Ugly, A word, N word, with a hard ER at the end of it. And that was the first time I've ever experienced something like that, and I really didn't know how to take it. So as you can imagine, I went and cried. They had to send me home because I was crying so bad. But... Yeah, that really hurt me. <laughs> what kind of legislation or policy changes should we be advocating for? I mean, instead of policemen automatically pulling out their gun and shooting, they should reach for their taser unless they are for sure that it's a weapon. And if they do shoot, they should shoot one to two times in the shoulder. That's just my opinion. That's what I've always thought and what my family thought. But that's, of course, only if it's possible. I know that might sound silly, but I'm sorry. Was there a question you were expecting us to ask that we did not? And if so, how would you answer that question? I was expecting y'all to ask um, how I feel about people saying all lives matter. And I would say, like, all lives do matter. It's just that black lives are being oppressed. I think I seen a representation of this on TikTok about how if one kid... Okay, say one kid out of five kids were outside playing and... One kid gets stung by me. You're not going to give a, you're not going to give a band-aid to all five of the kids because they don't need it. You're just going to give a band-aid to that one kid. And I was, and basically they're saying, say all races are playing, black lives are constantly getting hurt. You're not going to give attention to all lives because all lives aren't necessarily getting hurt, just the black lives. I mean, all lives do have something that they're getting oppressed about, but once it's every year with a certain race, you have to take that into consideration. All lives do matter for a fact, but black lives are being the, are the ones that's being oppressed. We also asked Narnia if there's anything that we didn't ask her about that she still wanted you guys to know, so here's what she had to say. To everyone that's listening, just know that you're in love, no matter your race, sexuality, and religion. And I would say stay safe. Again, a big thank you to Narnia for being a part of this conversation and being someone that we can all listen to during this time. All right, we have Sasha on now, and we're going to be having a discussion with her. We have a couple questions. We're also mostly going to focus on letting her share her opinions and what she wants to share with you guys. Um, so, so, Sasha, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? So, yeah, I live in a predominantly, like, I live in a predominantly white area. In my school, there's diversity, but not as much as there probably should be. So, definitely being one of the little bit of black kids in my school is kind of like it's like it's eye-opening honestly mm -hmm. because you get to see like because when you're surrounded by so many kids that have opinions that are different than yours obviously because like differences when there's kids that have so many like opinions that are different than yours it's eye-opening because like when you get to the opportunity to be surrounded by so many people that are like you like so many other black people how much like how many cultural differences there are and then like what's happening today like and like what's happening right now 
it's just kind of crazy that like all like this is like the real world like yeah. it's crazy that this is actually happening and I it's I can't believe there's people that are actually like that right I can't believe racism is still a thing basically is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say um, since you brought that up, I kind of wanted to bring up, like, what have your thoughts and initial reactions been seeing all this news come out within the past week? How have you been dealing with it? Um, I've been, it hits me differently. It kind of makes me anxious because it makes me worry for my brothers, my dad, my cousins, my friends, my nephews, all them. It's crazy that they have to be prepared not only to how to encounter actions with police, but how to treat bullet wounds because that's what it could go to if they ever if the police ever get the wrong impression of them which happens more and more like we're seeing it happen more and more and it, as I think Will Smith said racism's not getting worse it's getting recorded so like mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy that this is like it, that's all I can say is that it's crazy that this is like that this is happening and that racism is still so prominent. Um, One of the questions that I had was being that we are talking and on Instagram there's the whole Blackout Tuesday thing going on I wanted to mm-hmm. get your opinion on that um, I was mostly wondering on um, just what your thoughts were on it, as well as do you think that it encourages people to just join a trend and say that they support people and do so blindly? Do you think that showing any support is better than no support? Um, do you think that, like, does it make you question people's motives behind why they're posting stuff like that? Do you think people actually care? I think any support is better than no support is correct to an extent because if there's people that like there's people that I know that have been openly racist but now that it's becoming more popular to stop doing that suddenly they think they like take it as a trend to start Mm -hmm. supporting black people which I guess any support is good support but like I guess that's like the same as like any publicity is good publicity but if you have the wrong intentions like you can stay where you were at like we don't want negative energy we don't want people with ulterior motives people that don't actually support. So would you say it'd be fair to say like you appreciate all the people who are coming out and support you just hope that they're actually taking action and like acting on that? Yes a hundred percent because as much as there's people that are still racist the amount of people that I have seen like my whole Instagram feed is black which it makes me so happy like it like Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's incredible like the amount of support that we're getting right now is incredible and people posting links to resources it's like if you can't make it out to a protest because of COVID or your parents, like it's like there's so many other things you can do. You can sign petitions, all that stuff. People are posting like links to that. That's amazing to me that this is it's sad that it's something like racism, but it's amazing to me that so many people can come together from all different groups and support one minority group that's been oppressed for so long. Yeah, I agree. I definitely like got on Instagram. I didn't hear about Blackout Tuesday until late yesterday mm-hmm. and just waking up this morning and seeing mm-hmm. how my entire feed was just like black Instagram photos from people I like wouldn't necessarily have thought to post that again we can get into like the conversation of like is it just to be part of a trend or are they actually doing stuff but I think like I was like wow there's a lot of people listening I think that at the very least you know people might join just to be trendy or you know we don't know their intentions but at the end of the day hopefully by doing that they're showing that they're open-minded they want to learn and they, that, that they want to be a part of the solution why do you think that the protests are more widespread now than in times in the past? I think they're more widespread now because I think more now millennials and Generation <laughs> Z are able to, they're the, they're the generation of change, as people say, because they have access to technology. They have access to a bunch of things that older generations didn't have access to. And like technology and social media is the way that things get spread so widely and so quickly. So I think that because of social media, 
and what we have access to now I think that's why so many people are going out and like so many people have access to social media and they can spread it to the people that don't and I think I also think it's because everybody is just coming to the senses that it's ridiculous that this Mm -hmm. is something that we still have to go through and it's just something that it's common sense at this point like if there's obviously nothing's gonna work like it's not gonna stop unless the people get like unless the people say something and they speak up um another question that i have is how are you actively engaging with communities either online or in real life to promote change and advocate change and if you have been doing that what has seemed to make the biggest difference okay so i have been spamming my instagram story with ways that people can help messages um um, links to protests links to phone numbers you can call to help there's protests around me there was one either yesterday or two days ago about 20 minutes from me I didn't get the chance to go to that one but there is one tomorrow which is about five minutes from me that I definitely would like to attend and I think that by spreading the word and getting more people to attend more is going to get it's going to get more noticed and hopefully justice will be served. I have a follow-up question um so I've never been to a protest or anything like that but with all this going on even I've started looking into it and I don't know if I'm just ignorant. I have no idea how to figure out what protests are going on near me. Do you have any ways that you would recommend for people to access that kind of information? Or do you think it just mostly spreads word, word of mouth? I definitely think it just spreads word of mouth or like through social media. But honestly, if there's none that you can find like near you, I would start one because there was mm-hmm. none near me until there was a kid that goes to my school and he decided to take it upon himself to start one and now tomorrow there's supposed to be a bunch of people going out no matter what the weather is and we're all going to go out and hopefully we're going to advocate for change and hopefully we get our voices heard by the right people. What is your response to influencers or white people who have hesitated to show support out of fear of saying the wrong things? I'm not sure about out of fear of saying the wrong thing but I definitely think that people that are it's a conversation that's uncomfortable but it's an uncomfortable conversation that needs to be had if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, so there's white influencers, you have a platform, use it for good. Even though this, it could be seen as negative, it needs to be talked about, it needs to be spoken on because most of the influencers today have a younger following and it starts with the younger kids. If you implement that in their mind as they grow up, it's gonna stick with them. I think people that haven't spoken out need to speak out because they never know who they're gonna touch. Um, Another question that I had was, Do you believe that it's possible for people to change their opinions from opinions that they've had in the past? So for example, I saw organizations like the NFL are coming out to show their support, but they've also did everything in their power to prevent players from yelling during the national anthem. Do do you think that with new information, they should be changing their opinions? Do you think it looks bad for them to do that just to hop on the trend? Should we ask for people that have had opinions in the past that they're now changing their minds? Should we ask for them to show how they've transformed their opinions? that they definitely like opinions that have changed I hope they've changed the right reasons like I hope the NFL because people have been said like Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and that was peaceful and nobody listened when he was peaceful he lost his job because he was peaceful and now there's looting and riots because nobody listened when we were peaceful I hope the NFL and organizations and people that are changing their opinion are changing it for the right reasons not just because it would make them look bad if they didn't I really hope that they have the right mindset when changing their opinion and they know the facts as to why they should have changed it in the first place. So a really common response to when people say Black Lives Matter, a lot of times other people respond with All Lives Matter. What is your take on that? 
I just saw you roll your yeah. eyes. So I mean, I agree. So thoughts. share your thoughts. Um, okay. I think not all lives matter until Black lives matter. All lives can't matter until every life matters. Black lives fall under every life. If there's a house that's on fire, you're not going to call the police department for or the fire department for every house in the neighborhood. You're going to call it for that one house that's on fire. All lives do matter, but not, but not until Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that sentiment. I've seen a lot of people dropping analogies that to me make perfect sense, but it seems like a ton of people just can't understand it. And I do want to like tell you that as a white person, I have never been in fear of my life because I'm white. So I totally agree that like the all lives matter is unfounded. And like you said, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. If you have to have a counter argument for why black lives matter, I like all lives matter, obviously, but not all lives are going to matter until every single life matters. George Mm -hmm. Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all the people that have lost their lives, clearly to police, their lives didn't matter. So Mm -hmm. all lives need to matter. I mean, Black lives need to matter for all lives to matter. Um, A lot of people respond to talks about racism and diversity by saying, well, I don't see people for like the color of their skin. I just like, I'm colorblind. and I don't notice that. What is your response to people saying that? Do you think it takes away from the argument that we're trying to, or like the conversation that we're trying to have? I definitely do. I don't think like, that's not the goal. The goal is not for you to not see color. I want you to see my color and I want you to see me for who I am. I don't want you to ignore that I'm black because that's not what we're trying to get at. We're trying to get at the fact that we're equal. Like the for when you look at me, if you look at me and all my friends, most of my friends are white. If you look at me, you're going to notice that I'm black and I want you to notice that, that I'm black and I'm still doing what everybody else is doing. My life matters. I'm still Trying, I'm still human, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I'm still mm-hmm. just like the rest of everybody else, even though I am Black. So for people to say, I don't see color, I don't really get that. That's not the point of what we're trying to do. I understand, but I don't, I understand, but I don't agree. Is there anything, yeah. final, like, parting thoughts that you want to share for our listeners uh, before you go? Black Lives Matter, use your platform, no matter how big or how small, use your platform to inform people of everything that's going on in the world. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's a conversation that needs to be had, especially with young children. If you're an influencer and you decide that you don't want to speak on it because you're afraid of what to say, speak on it. Get a, do your research so that you know what to say and speak on it so that you can influence other people to speak on it who are afraid for the same reason. All right. Thank you so much, Sasha, for coming on our podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for just sharing your voice and your opinion with our audience. We really hope that you guys take the time to listen to what was said. Thank you so much for having me. Again, thank you so much to Jada, Sasha, Paloma, and Naria for being on the podcast. You guys all had a ton of great information, and I'm glad we got to have a variety of people on. All right, this is the point of the podcast where Sarah and I are going to kind of go through some questions that we were asking ourselves during this past week, and how we kind of formulated our answers included getting research, digging into just, like, other resources that we could find online, and truly, like, a lot of these questions, I genuinely was, like, I need to find the answer myself because I don't have an answer, and Mm -hmm. so I need to go do my part, dig into it a little bit, and hopefully this can be a starting point for some of you guys to either, we'll be sharing a couple resources that we used to formulate our answers, but again, I just want to encourage all of you guys, like, education is so important, and we tried to base all of our answers in the direction of actually like having looked things up and being educated Mm -hmm. on it. All right first a little bit of background I don't think you can fully understand someone's point of view unless you know where they come from and their life experiences so we're being totally transparent. Whoa 
totally <laughs> transparent. Um, Megan and I, like we said, we're both white. A lot of you guys already know that if you follow us on Instagram. Um, we live in Iowa. Iowa is 90% white, and we go to the University of Iowa, and that is 82% white. I looked this up for you guys. So it's, like, slightly more diverse, but honestly, we live in an extremely white state, and we went to an extremely white school, and we still do, because yeah. we're going there for grad school. Um, I also want to say, like, we grew up in neighborhoods that were majority white. We went to a school that was majority white, and so, yeah, we live in a very white area, and we don't have a lot of personal experiences with being surrounded by minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I wanted to add is that, again, I think Megan and I would not consider ourselves, like, anti-cop at all. Mm-mm. I definitely am more open-minded, like, hearing these conversations, like, I don't agree, like, all cops are bad cops. I have a hard time getting behind that argument, but one sign that I did see during these protests was 10 good cops plus 1 bad cop equals 11 bad cops. If and I can kind of understand this sentiment if they are complicit in letting that one bad cop um, do a bad job or not reporting them. I also think there needs to be a better job of, like, if cops have complaints behind them, they need to be investigated more thoroughly. So that's something that I think should be considered. But also, one thing I thought was important to mention, um, including, like, why we're very, like, pro-cop, um, in Des Moines in 2016, two police officers were killed. And they were both white. Mm-hmm. Not that it matters, but I don't uh, know. In the line of action, and one was, I think, was a Des Moines police officer, and the other one was an Urbano police officer. And those are, like, our communities. Yeah, it was... That's where we live. Very, like, close to home. I remember going to, like, the area where the first police officer officer was killed, and, like, it was very... It was a very weird experience, and going to, like, the police station, and, like, it felt very weird, and I felt like there was a, a sense of community of, like, backing the blue. So, since that, which was, at this point, almost... It's three and a half going on four years ago. After that happened... Not that Iowa was, like, anti-cop before. That definitely wasn't the case. But it's, like, Des Moines especially is very, like, back the blue, which I don't think is a bad thing. People have, like, you know, back the blue things on their cars. People want to show support for the police because that was something that happened in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. But I also want to make it very clear that backing the blue um, also means holding them accountable and holding, like, good cops accountable for making sure bad cops Mm -hmm. stay in line or get fired. All right, so that's where we come from. That's our background, and now we're going to go ahead and, I don't know, we just kind of have, like, an outline laid out, so we'll see how this goes. But the first thing that we are going to do is talk about George Floyd and the other people, the other victims that came before him. Mm -hmm. I think that Megan and I actually did watch the video of George Floyd's death. It's a very difficult video to watch. I think that it's highly informative and honestly, like, crucial if you can stomach it, that, like, you kind of, like, subject yourself to that pain. Like, don't let the uncomfort scare you away because this is real life and this happened. And so it was a video that I wasn't, like, purposefully avoiding, but I, like, just kind of was like, I don't want to see it I had seen the pictures and I was like, you know, I get, like, what happens, but until you see it for yourself, like, it makes a huge difference. I would suggest we watched a, like, compilation video that the New York Times posted that used multiple angles and really did a good job of sharing what is known about the incident right now. And kind of mapped out, like, the whole scenario so you can, like, understand where the different camera angles come from. So I thought that was very helpful. And I think the video does a great job highlighting how it is not just one officer responsible for Floyd's death. Also, the time of recording this, this is after the second report has been released, where a second medical examiner decided that um, asphyxia was one of his causes of death. So, again big push for uh, George Floyd's family. All right, so at this point, we kind of have, like, a lot of just questions that we wanted to ask ourselves, and then 
if we have resources that we felt like were important to share specifically, that's what we're going to do. So a lot of you guys asked specifically, and especially because this has been the direct aftermath of George Floyd's death, is the protests and quote-unquote riots in the very few and far between, and that's a far few number of people that are actually rioting and looting and also the protesting. of, like, police officers and, and stuff. And I'm not here to talk about conspiracies, honestly, at all. I really don't think that that's productive. You can entertain those all day long, but I'm here to talk about this briefly, and then, honestly, I want to progress more to how can we fix this? How can we work together? How can we or like, why are these do happening? Mm-hmm. I think we need to, like, focus on, like, what started this, because... Okay, so, my issue is that everyone who's, like, annoyed with, like, the protests is like, oh, they're all riots, the police officers like, are getting attacked by people and, like, property is getting destroyed, I want to make it totally clear, I do not advocate property damage or violence at all. But to claim that all these are riots is just false. I also want to say that to claim that police officers are not doing anything against peaceful protests is also false. I've seen videos on both sides, and it just annoys me. So at this point, it's just counterproductive. Literally. Like, we're all running in circles here if we're literally just going to be focusing on that I can show you a video of either side to prove either side's narrative, and so I think it it's just, again, running in circles to try and, like, who's right, who's wrong. Um, so just know that literally everything that everyone's saying is happening to what extent it's hard to know. But there are peaceful protests. There are good cops out there that are kneeling with people. Mm-hmm. I saw a sheriff. I'm sure you saw this video. Yeah, I did. Um, leading his police officers saying, I'm with you. Even in Des Moines just yesterday, police officers decided to finally kneel and protest. And guess what? The protest ended after that. They left. So I think just, like, focusing on the good that can come from this, like, there are, you know... Shout out to TikTok. <laughs> yeah. When the media doesn't show it, TikTok does. Yeah. I mean, the media is showing a little bit of everything, and that's why, again, I'm saying, like, to just, like, go in circles is not helping anyone. Um, Sierra so also mentioned earlier, if your first response to... Or the first time you're speaking up about anything at all is saying, I support Black Lives Matter or I support the protests, but the, rude, the rioting and looting is ridiculous. That is not you being on their side. You're simply saying, oh, I agree, but also we need to stop because I feel threatened, my neighborhood is being threatened, and this shouldn't be happening. Again, I'm not condoning the rioting and looting that's happening, but you're not being an ally. I think that, like, my biggest issue is, like, if it was peaceful protest, like, would you have spoken up anyways, or did you only speak up because you wanted to condemn any violence that's happening or property damage? If it's the latter, then you're not, like, Maybe do your part. Try to get more educated. Okay, The other thing that I had, just again, kind of related to writing, was I wanted to refer back to um, part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter where he, I'm trying to find where it was, what the name of it was. All right, this is an excerpt from a letter from Birmingham jail that King wrote in response to clergymen, like, condemning his writing and protests and stuff. And it honestly is more similar to what's going on right now than people think. Yes, Martin Luther King Jr. promoted peaceful protests, but the civil rights movement had violence too. So I just thought it stuck out and I thought it related to what was going on right now. So, quote, moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. You deploy the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, but your statement, I am sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. Honestly, that's mostly where I want to stop. 
because I think that touches on what we just said, mm-hmm. where you're only showing, you're only condemning one side, and then you're not even turning your eye to what caused all Like, this. it's easy to turn and say, you shouldn't be protesting or causing violence, and then stopping there, because you don't have to then turn and re- turn around and say, well, why are they, why are, oh my god, why are they doing that? So I'm getting a little tongue-tied today. Yeah. So that is what we have. Those are our thoughts on the protest and the rioting. Again, to make it fully clear, as if it wasn't clear enough, we are not condoning violence and property damage. However, I'm not going to sit here and say that I understand the rage that people are feeling or how, like, unheard they're feeling. I don't feel any of that, so. God forbid everyone gets, God forbid someone kneels on one knee like Colin Kaepernick did during an NFL game. What a peaceful protest, and people thought the world was ending. I was going to say rioted. (laughs) We'll avoid that phrase. Okay, that's all I have to say, honestly, and I know I'm probably getting a little heated, but it just doesn't make sense to me. So, if you agree, great. If not, I don't know what to say. All right, next question, which is definitely becoming more prevalent, and a lot of people have been trying to answer this question, so go ahead. All right, next question is how to be anti-racist. I think this is coming up a lot because... It's simply not enough to just, like, not be racist anymore. Um, We have to actively work to become anti-racist. I've been reading a lot about white fragility. That is Robin D'Angelo, I believe is her last name or his last name. I'm not sure if it's a guy or girl. Um, And honestly, it's been quite eye-opening. As a white person, I feel like all the things that she wrote have just been, like, oh, I've experienced that. Or, like, there's just a list of questions that she asks, like, in her writing to, like, make you think. It's like, have you ever had any black teachers? And I was like, no, I actually haven't. And she's like, do you have any black neighbors? I was like, no, I actually don't. Like, stuff like that, and it gets deeper than that, too. And she also brings up her own experience being a diversity educator in, or, like, in companies that, like, they hire her and bring in some stuff. I think Megan has an excerpt from that we can get I to. I do have that for a different question. In a little bit? Okay, perfect. Um, but just, like, she really helps break down, like, this systemic racism which I know, like, a lot of people hate that word because some people don't think it exists, but I just think, like, educating yourselves on how that, yeah. I don't think I mentioned this earlier. Our podcast cut cut out at one point, so I think when I said this, it was in the part that got cut out. I'm going to be putting resources for you guys to share as well as places, like, to donate, but if you're a facts person and you want to look at some facts, I linked three different studies that I found on a peer-reviewed journal, aka, like, it's the legit study. It's not just, like, a short article, and I read through all three of them, all the way through. So if you want to get educated and actually learn about it, the first one is linked is the one that I found most relevant and talks about systemic racism, but all of them are also relevant. And if you're a facts person, there you go. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think was really eye-opening to me was talking about how like America is a really like meritocracy-based, like individualism-based country. We like to say like, oh, if you can dream, you can do it. And that's why a lot of people are just like, a lot of white people specifically think, well, if they, like, work a little bit harder, like, you know, try a little bit harder, uh, work some more jobs, like, they can experience. do it. And that's our experience. And because... that's the experience of some black people, but not all black people. All right. So, again, back to, like, the main question at hand, how to be anti-racist. I asked myself this question because I genuinely want to know what can I do to be better. And so, I simply looked up how to be anti-racist on Google, and guess what? There's a book. And also, it's ended up being one of the books that was on a post that I referenced on my Instagram stories. I think the at that's that has the post is at good 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 co. So I've been honestly referring back to it just to like get more ideas of what I could mm-hmm. be looking into next. I watched 13th, which is a documentary on Netflix listed on there. Really great documentary I'd recommend. Um, and I've also 
started reading the beginning of both White Fragility and How to Be Anti-Racist, which is the book that I found. And that book is written by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. I hope I said his name right. But he's a black man that shares his experiences, and I found some of his book to be helpful in answering this question. So, the first thing I wrote down is that to be anti-racist, we have to acknowledge our own prejudice and bias. I actually have a great way to segue from, like, white fragility. Um, D'Angelo does a great job of, like, breaking down, like, the different facets. First, we start off with prejudice, and that's just, like, our own thoughts and ideas of, like, stereotypes that we internalize and stuff like that. Discrimination is any actions that we take based off of our prejudice. So if I see like a black person walking down the street and I cross the street, that could be like a small example of discrimination because it's my own preconceived idea of like what that person might be like that makes me cross the street. And um, the big difference between discrimination and racism is that racism has uh, systemic power behind it. And so it's like institutionalized or governmental. And that's why you hear everyone say, um, white people like can't experience racism because the system is built to advantage white people. Um, everyone can experience discrimination. So if you are a white person that claims like, oh, like black people can be racist to me, like when they're maybe discrimination me, would be discrimination a would be a better word for that. So just keep that in mind. Also, Sierra thought that this is gonna be like kind of a silly example in terms of like the larger issue we're talking about, but I think it's a nice digestible example. Yeah. This is our. If you've watched One Hundred Humans on Netflix. It's a semi-science-related show, yeah, but it I'm has a good science point. Is perfect. So, one of the episodes um, discusses race just a little bit and, like, how we perceive people. And one of the experiences they set up has, like, each 100, each of the 100 humans comes in and they're, like, standing in front of this, like, cardboard set where there's, like, a dumpster, a truck, a house, like, whatever made of cardboard. And people can jump out either with a cell phone or with a gun and their job is to, like, shoot the person that's holding the gun. So it seems, like, simple enough. It's, like, I think they say, like, oh, we're testing your reflexes, that kind of thing, when really it's, like, a test for if they might have any preconceived uh, biases. And so what they are looking for at the end is when um, a white man and a black man jump out simultaneously, and they're both holding cell phones, so it's, like, logically they shouldn't shoot either of them. Um, And overwhelmingly, people shot at the black man, they even switched the sides to make sure people didn't have a tendency to, like, shoot more towards the right or the left, and they found the same results. So I just thought it was interesting. And they also found the same results across all the races that were participating. Yeah, it wasn't just white people shooting black people. It's black people shooting the black guy, like, Mexicans, Hispanics. Um, everyone overwhelmingly, like, chose to shoot the black guy, and, like, he was holding a cell phone again, so, like, he, they weren't supposed to shoot him anyways. And they also tried to take it one step further by having it be a black guy that actually was working on the show and is around the cast daily. I guess cast isn't the right word, but the people participating in the project, and so they knew who he was even. Mm-hmm. But if- I, I have to admit, I was, like, playing along with them, kind of being like, oh, like, you'd shoot them, you wouldn't shoot them, and, like, it totally got me. I was like, oh, you'd shoot, like, that guy, like, the black guy on the, the left, and I was like, oh, shoot. So the whole point of this is to say, you might not even realize that you have these subconscious Everyone has biases. prejudice. Literally everyone does. It's impossible to grow up and be socialized in this world without having some idea of, like, a group because stereotypes exist. So the point is not to be perfect. The point is to realize that it's there and that if you think one thing, you need to actively say, why am I thinking that? Or, like, or you have to consciously say, no, I shouldn't be thinking those things. Yes. Also, I wanted to quickly touch on um, colorblind racism because so many people that, like, claim to be like, oh, I'm, like, the least racist person ever. Like, I'm not racist at all. I have black friends. Um, they claim, like, the sense of being colorblind and saying, like, I don't see your skin color, like, I just see you as a person, and, like, I understand the sentiment. I get what you are trying to say with that, but by not acknowledging someone's color, you're, like, disregarding their experiences as a person of color, 
um, and you're also projecting your own experiences onto them, saying, like, oh, I've had this experience, and, like, I don't see your race, I just, like, see a person, so they must, like, have a similar experience to me. So, the goal is to not just be colorblind and, like, say everyone's the same, it's to recognize our differences and appreciate them and celebrate them. Alright, the next kind of, like, I don't know, bullet point that I had was that in order to be anti-racist, we need to locate the root of the problem that we're seeing in policies rather than deciding that the problems are rooted in groups of people. So, I also thought that this was best explained in an excerpt from How to Be Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. Alright, I still have a nightmare. The memory of this speech whenever I muster the courage to recall it anew. It is hard for me to believe I finished high school in the year 2000 touting so many racist ideas, a racist culture that handed me the ammunition to shoot black people, to shoot myself, and I took and used it. Internalized racism is the real black-on-black crime. I was a dupe, a chump, who saw the ongoing struggles of black people on MLK Day 2000 and decided that black people themselves were the problem. This is the consistent function of racist ideas and any kind of bigotry more broadly, to manipulate us into seeing people as a problem instead of the policies that ensnare them. And I thought this really spoke to me more so because, sure, I hear that, like, black people are aware of black-on-black crime. Black people, like, they're not blind to it. And so hearing it from his perspective and realizing, like, that even he is being pulled into this trap of thinking that he is black one of the problems. He's one of the problems. That spoke to me in knowing, like, it's not just white people. Like, we all have to learn white people, especially because these aren't our experiences. And but how, like, we as alone. white people hold the power and, like, largely everyone that's, like, in power, it's, like, predominantly white. There's, like, percentages listed in White Fragility of, like, these top organizations, both institutional and governmental. I don't know what, like, the right word. I feel like governmental is not a word. But, like, they are astonishingly white. And when those people have power, like, they bring their prejudices with them even if they don't need to. Alright, another thing is that we need to confront racial inequalities, and this is going to be really different for what your experiences are on a daily basis. So, for me personally, like, I live, like I said, in a very white area, and for the time being, I'm really only surrounding myself with family because of the pandemic, and so all of my family is white. That's who I'm going to be surrounded with, and I'll be honest, my entire family is not, like, the most anti-racist people I know. I've heard jokes that aren't funny, I have heard comments that kind of makes you, like, cringe a little bit. Yeah, and instead... I sometimes try to, like, butt in here and there, but sometimes you get exhausted, and your family's hard to talk to. Or sometimes you don't feel informed. Yeah. So, I've been doing my best to educate myself and start to realize, like, it's important for me to step in. And they can argue and yell at me if they want, but if I come being the most informed version of myself that I can and trying to come at them with compassion and also using language that doesn't make them upset and really allows for a conversation... That's my responsibility. What's crazy is that, like, I think ultimately, like, as long as you're not a horrible person, like, everyone wants the same thing, right? Everyone wants equality. We make it so complicated. But, like, God, we have to, like, jump through all these hoops and barriers and be like, well, technically, this, that, and the other thing. Like, we want the same thing. Unless you're an extremely bad person, you just say, like, no, white people mm-hmm. are superior, in which case, uh, you need to log off. <laughs> um, Like, we want the same things, and I think that people just love to fight and, like, stick to their side. We need to have constructive conversations. And also, this is going to include, like, you seeing something and saying something in public if you're surrounded by people that are making comments or jokes, if you're seeing actions take place in grocery stores or on the streets, like, stepping up. Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable. I admit, like, I don't think I've ever had to do this. Again, I've tried, like, very few times, but, like, in family conversations that I feel like they're not okay, I've tried speaking up, but then I feel like, kind of, like, they silence me back down, and I'm like, okay, I'll just ignore you guys. Because it's easier. Mm-hmm. So, I think that trying to hold myself more accountable is going to be very important, um, in the future. I encourage you guys to do the same. 
All right, this next thing, which is again a key thing, a key thing that I found in um, how to be anti-racist. So this is not just coming from me, but it says being racist and anti-racist are not fixed. You can't be one one minute and the other the next. This is why you shouldn't call yourself. Oh, I'm not racist. You're probably can't call yourself anti-racist either. This happens every time you say something, every time you do something, and you have to keep working on fixing yourself and making it so that you're picking to be anti-racist more often than you're picking to be racist. Mm -hmm. So just continually working on yourselves and being just reflective of what you're doing and what your actions are saying about who you are. And also I've seen like a lot of people like, I think it's so common to think like, I'm pretty sure I read in White Fragility, someone said like, uh, there's a study done where people, white people or white college students specifically were asked to record like the amount of like racist things they heard or saw over the course of a few weeks. And there's like 7,500 total like, racist things that were brought up, and and some of the comments people would be like, oh, like, Brad told a really funny joke, but, like, um, I'm glad that there was, like, no people of color around, because, like, if they don't know Brad, like, they would have taken it the wrong way, and, like, it's, like, this, like, white backstage secrecy of, like, oh, like, we're all white, like, we get it, like, it's funny, you know, it doesn't make a difference since, like, no one was here to hear it, but it does make a difference, because you've told this joke, and you've okayed this in front of, like, however many people are listening to it, and they say, like, oh, this is okay, and I'm gonna go tell it to my friends now, because it's a funny joke. And, like, honestly, all those jokes do are, like, probably just, like, deepen stereotypes that shouldn't be deepened anyways because it's going to increase prejudice. All right, we have a couple more points for this question. Um, I guess, hold on, I kind of might have already said some of these points. All right, don't reflect the actions of a few as the representation of the whole. This applies to protesters right now and not saying every single black person out protesting is a rioter and looter because... It kind of reflected this back on myself, or, like, I started reflecting this back on myself. The author was saying he's a black man, and he doesn't feel like he represents every single black person. He doesn't feel like he should be the poster child for black people and how they should act and And also just, like, think of, like, if you're white, have you ever thought of yourself as, like, I'm the poster child for, like, a white person? Yeah. No, never. So that's kind of what that last point was, is don't turn that back onto black people and say this one black person is doing something that I don't agree with, that means the entire argument of Black Lives Matter is out the door. Or it's, like, the same thing with, like, seeing one video of, like, people looting or rioting. Or seeing one bad video of a cop. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, like, you can say this for anything, and just know that, like, people are not the reflection of, like, the groups that they are part of as a whole. All right, so, how do we educate ourselves and others? First, try and educate yourself first and foremost. It can be really easy to see a post on Facebook and if you agree with it, especially, then you're, like, share. And, like, I've seen that before. I'd recommend not doing Facebook education, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, I think the best thing you can do is, like, ask yourself a question that you want to know the answer to and Google it. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that this past week. Do not inform yourselves with p- people's opinions that you already want to agree with. Um, something that I like to do if you are a person that wants to go look at specific studies, the it's NCBI, it's the National... You're not going to know what it is. No, I just looked it up so I could remember it. National something of biotechnology information. That's what it is. And it's got, like, the studies on there. If you want to go look them up, search for keywords and see what the studies are showing. And hopefully you get unbiased, peer-reviewed journals. That's the point of, like, looking at studies is to get, like, the research. You get, like, the data. you get how. Yeah, you you get get how they did it. Articles are going to maybe give you some sense of a story, but you're not going to know, like, the ins and outs of what they were actually looking at. Or even I would stray away from, like, straight-up statistics. Obviously, those are helpful, but, like, when there's no indication of, like, how those statistics were gathered. Like, the infographics on Instagram are great for right now and quick information, but you don't know anything besides the infographic. Mm -hmm. Or just, like, 
I've been trying to, like, look at the FBI, like, crime database reports, and... I found a study that literally said it went against that. That was the first one I linked. Yeah, and so I'm trying to say, like, you can't just look at stats police to reported Exactly. Thing. Or, like, I was trying That's to... That's why you should go check out the first article <laughs> I linked. Awesome. Um, so I think just, like, instead of blindly pointing out statistics that prove your point, like, you have to question those statistics. I think that, again, we've been saying this, studies are great because they are peer-reviewed, they can be replicated, and... They also tell you how they got the information and, like, what exactly they got. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, I would say there's a lot of people posting a lot of resources right now, and we already mentioned some of them in the beginning. Use documentaries, use podcasts, use books. It doesn't have to be, like, this should not be a painful process. There's a lot of entertaining ways to educate yourselves. So, like, Megan, you said you watched 13th, and, it was and good. she really liked it. Yeah. Um, even just, like, watching, like, When when They See Us, I think, is, like, a... Mm-hmm. documentary based off of Selma, the Central I've Park seen that been recommended. Like, those are, like, literally, like, good pieces of, like, film that you can watch and it can also be educating, so I think that's important. Um, I'd also encourage you, like, don't just simply, like, bookmark these things that, like, you can do this later, like, oh, like, share this on your story to, like, share information. Actually take part mm-hmm. yourself. Don't just say, here's these Don't just, like, spread read. the resources for everyone else yeah. and not utilize it yourself. Um, I was also going to say... Oh, I was going to touch quickly on, just since I did watch 13th specifically, some of my main takeaways for it were, a lot of it focused on, I mean, honestly, like, a broad range of topics like police brutality, but it also focused a lot on systemic racism, which is, I think, the broader issue at hand here and what people are trying to figure out how to try and tackle, and it talked a lot about mass incarceration, which I didn't know a lot about at all, and the documentary definitely, like, pulled me in, and it caused me to have my own questions, and what I like to do when I'm watching documentaries specifically is it makes me, like, have certain questions, and then I start going and pulling up new tabs of, like, different tabs so I can try and, like, get answers to what I'm looking for. So, kind of, like, just bouncing off of the education and information that the documentary is giving you, whatever information you're getting, or I guess, like, whatever you're consuming for your content, go and, like, explore that further if you have questions popping up. All right, so next we want to kind of delve further into white privilege specifically. I know we've talked about it kind of here and there, but first we need to, like, acknowledge our white privilege and then use that and ask ourselves how can we be allies to the black community during this time. So, first first, thing I put was a definition. White privilege. This was literally just a Google definition, but I thought that was a good definition. So, Google defines... um, white privilege as societal privilege that benefits white people over non-whites, particularly if they are under the same social, political, or economic circumstances. And I liked that definition because it ends up with, like, kind of accounting for the other things that make your life harder or easier, but it's talking about, like, we are talking about race here, and that's mm-hmm. the difference. And keep in mind that, like, the people that are, in, that are predominantly in control of what Megan just listed, so, like, social, political, and economic circumstances, those are largely like, controlled by white people. And so I'm not saying every person in charge is, like, I'm racist and I'm gonna, like, try and oppress, like, all the black people. I'm saying, like, they're upholding a system that has been advantageous for themselves and in doing so has been making it harder for people of color and black people specifically to rise up and kind of, like, equal out the playing field. Now, this is the question where when I started looking up things to try and educate myself and come up with good answers for like, what is white privilege, and also how can I be an ally, that's when white fragility became a good resource, and Sierra did read more of that book than I did, so she can probably touch on some of these more. I have two mm-hmm. excerpts that, like, spoke to me, and, like, we'll talk to, talk on them, but I also hope that they just, like, as they're said, and, like, I kind like of hope that themselves. that's enough. Yes. So, I can read the first excerpt, maybe. 
I am a white woman. I am standing beside a black woman. We are facing a group of white people seated in front of us. We are in the workplace and have been hired by their employer to lead them in a dialogue about race. The room is filled with tension and charged with hostility. I have just presented a definition of racism that includes the acknowledgement that whites hold social and institutional power over people of color. A white man is pounding his fist on the table. As he pounds, he yells, a white person can't get a job anymore. I look around the room and see 40 employees, 38 of whom are white. Why is this white man so angry? Why is he being so careless about the impact of his anger? Why doesn't he notice the effect of his outburst is having on a few people of color in the room? Why are all the other white people either sitting in silent agreement with him or tuning out? I have, after all, only articulated a definition of racism. I hope that speaks kind of for itself, but it really resonated with me when I read it, and so much so that Sierra, when she read it separately, was- I was like, did you see this? Because Megan had told me she, like, took a few excerpts, and I was like, did you see this one? Speaking of, some of these books, both of, both How to Be Anti-Racist and White Fragility, the first, like, 30-something pages are available for free on Google Books, I will say, White Fragility, like, um, the introduction is, like, towards the end, like, there's a lot of acknowledgements and, like, forward stuff that's important, but not, like- the book itself, so you might, like, I had to buy it to, you know, get to, like, the meat of it, but if you want to, like, see if you're interested, definitely read that for free. Um, but yeah, when I read this, I was like, I hear so, so, so many people claiming, like, oh, they're taking our jobs. Like, black people are taking our jobs because of, like, affirmative action, and, and people, it's like, like sure, you can fill a certain quota. You can say that all day long, but then you actually end up in a business, and you're like, where are all, like, people of color, or black people? And, like, this man... I'm just, like, talking about, like, this specific instance. This man is saying they're taking our jobs. Sir, you're sitting in your office job. What have they taken from you? All she did was say what racism was. And so, I think, automatically, like, white people and racism is brought up. They, th- like, know it's going to be they against like them. They have defeated the So, system. they have to be defensive. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop being so defensive. We need to be open to the conversation because, like, racism is not, like, an us versus them thing. It's about, like, learning what it is and saying, how can I work against the system to help even out the playing field. Also, this is just, like, something I thought of, like, right now. I don't know if you mentioned it anywhere else on our outline, but I believe you also mentioned this was included in this book, but it's the idea of white people have to, and this kind of goes along with my quote, too, but white people have to help end racism. Mm-hmm. Because I can, what, like, jump women, into this. Yeah. yeah, that was what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, so we're, we're on the same, same wavelength. Um, One thing that I thought was so eye-opening, which, like, sounds so dumb because it's so obvious, but, like, the oppressed cannot get what they want unless the oppressor gives it to them. And I felt like I was like, hold on. You mean, like, no matter how hard, like, the oppressed fight, like, they can't get it unless it's handed to them? Like, that blew my mind. But it's, like, it's literally true. So, women's suffrage movement, for example. You have women, honestly, mostly white women because they're the ones that got the right to vote in the 1920s and, like, women of color didn't until the 60s. But that's a different topic. Um, you have, like, white women saying, we demand our vote. And you have all these men in power that are saying, okay, we'll give it to you. Or finally. Well, yeah, finally. And so you have these men that have to literally give women the right to vote. They're the ones in charge, so they have to be the ones handing it down. How else are women supposed to get the right to vote if they're not in charge of the system? Same thing kind of related to, it showed, like, it mentioned Jackie Robinson. This was specifically talking about how, like, the rise of Jackie Robinson kind of feeds into the idea of, like, meritocracy and, like, plays into, like, that white idea of, like, oh, he works hard enough, like, he can do it. As if he was the only black person working hard enough. Yeah, he was not the first, like, black person to be good enough to play in the major leagues. He was the first person that whites allowed to play in the major leagues. And honestly, most of it probably wasn't even, like, to be, like, racially gung-ho and, like, diverse. Most of it was probably um, economically and financially motivated because he would be a good player and, like, make them more money if he won, like, their games. But, like, I thought, like, when I read that, I was like... 
I've had, like, this entire idea, like, fed to me of, like, Jackie Robinson, like, the first African-American, like, baseball player in the major leagues, like, go him. And it's because, like, white people finally decided, okay, he can play. Mm-hmm. So, that blew my mind. All right, this is, again, kind of back to our bullet points. So, to me, white privilege means I don't have to think about my race on a daily basis. I don't ever have to worry about what I'm wearing or how I'm... Bre- how I might be perceived or that I have to be perceived as a threat. I don't have to worry about walking outside by myself or when it's dark. You know, we could get into different things about, like, being a woman or not. But I don't feel like I am a threat when I'm out walking around. I don't feel like I have to fear for my safety in regards to police officers. I guess that's most more so what I'm going to stick with because we'll leave, you know, being feminism woman. out of this. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I don't think of myself, like, as being, like, a white person. I just think, like, oh, yeah, I'm white. Like, I know I'm white but I don't ever have to, like, think about it. Mm-hmm. All right, next bullet point is I consume media that is blatantly biased towards my race, and I felt the need to include this because when I clicked this article that included that as a bullet point of, like, what it means to have white privilege, I found an article that literally had examples from in Iowa and, like, in our college town. So I was like, we have to include it. All right, so what that means is consuming media that's blatantly biased towards being white. So this happened in Iowa City in Coralville, and it has two side-by-side news articles two sets of pictures one with one that has mugshots and then one is of i guess let me read like the headlines first so we have the first one that says three university of iowa wrestlers arrested burglary charges pending and then it has their pictures they're all white they're all in their suit and tie because they chose to use the wrestlers roster pictures making them look all prim and proper well-dressed well-educated they're student athletes Like, that is the persona and identity that the reporter gave these students. The burglars. (laughs) Yeah. Second one is Coralville Police Arrest for and Burglar Investigation. These are all black males, and they use their mugshots. Now, I do want to touch on the possibility that for um, the white wrestlers, they wanted to specifically point out their so-called, like, prestige within the university and maybe, like, call it, like, these are students, like, within your system. But, like, again, perpetuating, like, their photos. And also, this was... These were two stories that were for the same crime, covered by the same reporter, and on the same day. Which mm-hmm. I thought was also just... And common. one says charges pending for the white people, whereas, like, one says Kind of, like, proving their, like, innocence until proving guilty. And then, and then one says investigation, like, they're looking into it. Yeah. Alright, then there was one other um, thing that, again, same idea. We have one picture that says, theater shooting suspect was brilliant science student. And they use a picture of him in a student tie, school yearbook picture... And, again, they're choosing to identify the white man as the, he's brilliant, smart, giving him all those, like, going for him. Yeah. And then we have another article that says, police, Michael Brown struggled with officer before shooting. Again, showing, like, there was a sense of struggle. That's always something to look into. And just kind of, like, pinpointing things where we don't see that happening in the other situation. Where we literally have, this kid was the shooter, and he's being praised. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not praised, but... Definitely words are not tearing down his character. Mm-hmm. One uh, last thing that I wanted to point out. If you have been rolling your eyes this entire podcast, listening to us speak, one, I do want to thank you because it's probably been yeah. a long podcast, so at least you stuck through it and you are you still did listening. Listen. Whether it was actively or passively, I don't know. But I think that Rhett McLaughlin, if you guys don't know, I'm a huge fan of him. Megan is too. Um, we follow him on Instagram. He is one of the co-hosts of Good Mythical Morning. It's a YouTube channel you probably heard about. Um, he posted an IGTV as well as a Medium article. The IG, IGTV is just, like, him reading his Medium article. 
and he wrote a letter to his past self kind of discussing the events that are taking place today. He did have views that like he doesn't still hold today and so he's like trying to kind of deconstruct his own change in his perception of like how the world works and trying to convince his past self like here's why you need to think differently. So if you aren't convinced by anything we've said, I would highly encourage you to read that or to look at it. It's only like nine minutes, so. All right, next question that we were asking ourselves is how do we turn all this social social media empathy and once all the protests are over, how do we turn that into real action? How do we start taking accountability when it matters? Um, stuff like that. So this is obviously like a difficult question because I think like it's hard to imagine like what one person can do for like the change of systemic racism and like all the issues that we're trying to protest against. Um, I think honestly starting small is a good idea. Trying to make local changes. Like honestly, we're gonna have to care a lot more about local elections. And I I'll admit I didn't care about my local election last time it happened. I didn't look into like anyone except for the governor and like their policies and that's really the only person I voted for and I'm like that is like how much of a privilege I have to overlook that I don't care who else is elected to any mm-hmm. of the city's spots. Yeah, I know. I think that's something that I'm going to um, take. Elections are November 3rd for the nation and states, and so if the pandemic is still, go- still going on, that definitely means paying attention to when you have to get your absentee ballots gathered. I don't yeah. know. I still have to look into this <laughs> stuff, too, but I'm just like, I need to be prepared beforehand so it doesn't become November 2nd, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go out if the pandemic is still going on. Obviously, you can still go vote in person if you want, but hopefully I can get an absentee ballot and remember and just, like, actually take part. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the biggest takeaway. I think that... Especially, did you read Obama's... <clears throat> I did. That's what convinced me. I thought that it was really, like, a lot I'm of... About, like, I didn't even finish what I was saying. Yeah. We're talking about Obama's Instagram post and his um, statement, so, yeah. Um, one of the things that he said that I thought was really insightful, I think a lot of people have reposted this, and I'm sure he's not the first one to say it, but it's the first place I saw it. He was saying, like, we need to take these protests and turn it into politics because um, this is great for ways raising awareness and, like, getting people to want to get educated, but we need to implement change by changing who we vote for. And that includes sheriffs, that includes governors, that includes district attorneys. Those are all elected officials, which we're guilty of this. Like Megan said, like, I don't know if I've really even, like, cared to look at local elections ever. Like, I'm like, I don't know when they're happening. Like, mayor. Who's the mayor? I didn't even know the name of our Des Moines mayor until today. So. Yeah. So, again, that shows our privilege because we honestly don't have to care. Like, it doesn't really affect us, like, who's in these small positions. It doesn't affect me, like, who's sheriff, but it affects other people. Again, educate yourself. Continue to do so outside of social media. Continue to do that when all this is over. Continue to try and make it a priority because that's the only way we're going to continue to do better. Do not consume media that is only biased in your favor. I know we love to read information that confirms our own beliefs, but it's important to look at the other side as well. And if anything, you look at the other side and you can say, that is totally wrong. But and you can be like, let me you... go look at that again and find other information mm-hmm. that I think kind of discounts that information. Yeah. It's important to find information that challenges your beliefs so you can either inspect it further or you can like say, nope, that's total BS. Like what I'm thinking is right. So. Mm-hmm. And that is everything that we had for our outline. So I think that hopefully that was overall put together well. We did as much research before we we did this podcast as we possibly could. And I truly do feel so much more educated now than I did a week ago. Like, Mm -hmm. 
than I ever have in my entire life. So thank you for sticking up, sticking with us. If you listen this long, I know this is probably a long podcast, but again, I think it's a very important one and we didn't want to just like whittle it down into like the most basic thing it could be because this is a complex issue and we didn't even like hardly scratch the surface. We have a lot of educating to still do ourselves and we greatly appreciate the people that we had come on today to help give us their perspectives and opinions and experiences and also like their ability to help educate us as well. Again, uh, we're going to have that Instagram post available. I want to, again, encourage thoughtful comments, comments that you can actually back up and have thought put into them. Um, Hateful and ignorant comments are not going to be tolerated. Honestly, probably just going to focus on blocking people at that point. And we want to have a conversation. We are trying to have a conversation in this podcast. And it's important that we also facilitate a place where others feel comfortable conversing because that's only, like, that's how we're going to keep this going in the future. That's going to include me and Sierra talking specifically to people that we don't agree with and trying to share our points, trying to listen to you guys, trying to listen to other people in our lives. And again, just trying to really focus on the main issue at hand and not getting caught up in the politics, not getting caught up in like, oh, are you Democrat versus Republican? Let's focus on the bigger issue at hand, which is tackling racism and doing things every single day as we see them, as we hear them, to, to be actively anti-racist and to change the way that the world works right now. It's too hard and too difficult to get everyone to agree with everything you're saying. So I think when it boils down to it, that's the most effective way to go about making change. Yeah. I don't know like exactly like, the best way to end this podcast. Um, I do also want to make it very clear. I saw someone say, like, make sure you donate like the proceeds from your podcast to any like Black Lives Matter movement or like George Floyd fund. This podcast does not have any advertisements on it, so there's no money being made. Just want to make that clear. All right. Um, We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We hope that it was insightful and that it pushed you guys to want to learn more. I really hope that it made you think. Like, more than anything, I hope this podcast made you think. Maybe you felt a little bit uncomfortable. If these are, like, views that you don't already hold, I encourage you to, like, look in that uncomfortability. That's, like, the whole point of white fragility is to, if you're white, like, this makes you uncomfortable and you have to sit in that uncomfortableness or uncomfortability and just, like, why do you feel uncomfortable? All right. I really don't know any better way to end the podcast, so we just thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Next week, as we have it planned, we're probably going to be returning returning to a somewhat more normal episode, but we'll see how that plays out as the future unfolds. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. We will talk to you guys next Thursday. Bye. Bye.